Welcome back to Finding Perfect Property, Diary of a Buying Agent. This is our 14th episode of the podcast. Um, and today I'm absolutely delighted to have with us Charlie Taylor. Um, Charlie Taylor is Chief Operating Officer at Night Protection. And he specializes in protecting private clients in their homes, their place of work, and also whilst traveling. Um, Night Protection are recognized as being among the top 5% security firms in the UK, and they operate at the very highest level. Their highly detailed, integrated, state-of-the-art approach has been the first choice for many major corporations and national institutions, some of the UK's wealthiest real estate owners, and three royal families. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to um, chatting to you and hearing your expert insights about the often secretive world of security um, and surveillance and how how you can help clients feel safe and secure in their homes. Pleasure, thank you. Um, I always love to start by asking my guests how they got into their line of work. What's what's been your journey, Charlie? How did you get into security? Sure, so um, I was in the cadets at school, so the Army Cadet Force or CCF at school, the Combined Cadet Force. Um, And I went on an expedition to Japan uh, for six weeks to help uh, disabled children climb Mount Fuji. It was run by uh, a guy who was in the Army at the time, an officer in the Army. And after that, he took me to one side and said, you know, you should consider joining the army and here's my regiment, come and join my regiment. So I started the journey then to look at it. Uh, I almost joined the RAF, um, had a scholarship with the RAF, but decided that I would rather live in, um, in mud and uh, you know, under the trees than in hotels drinking gin and tonic. So um, I decided to join, join the army, yeah. spent almost 10 years at, um, in the army, having commissioned through Sandhurst, mm-hmm. um, did operational tours of Kosovo and Iraq. Uh, and then coming out, uh, I met a high net worth who wanted me to look after his private office and then look after his security on the side as well. Mm. And from there, it really grew. Um, I then went for sort of uh, different companies uh, um, with friends and colleagues uh, and ended up where I am here today at Night Protection. And, and tell us a little bit more about Night Protection, the firm, um, how it started, your sort of your journey up through the ranks to, to COO. Sure. Okay. So um, Night Protection is a family and business. Uh, it was set up 25 years ago this year. Um, Tim, who still is the MD and runs the business, uh, Tim Knight, um, his father set it up and sadly died about 10 years ago of a brain tumour. Um, so Tim was on the fast track in the city at the time and decided to, uh, to leave and, and come and really run the business from there. He, he did so and, and grew the business from, from where it was. Um, I joined about five years ago um, and my role coming into COO straight away was to look at the operational side, but also to help Tim with my experience in the military and having worked in sales to, to, to grow the business. Amazing. And how, and how big is the company now? How many clients, how many homes are, are you managing? So we manage uh, just over £7 billion worth of, of homes uh, in and around London and sort of the southeast. Mm. Um, the company uh, this year should turn over about 17 to £17.5 million. Um, so it's a, a good size, well-established business. Yeah, amazing. Um, and and how, how's the business grown? Is it just word of mouth? Is it reputation? Um, probably a combination of those things, but do you advertise? How do you get? How do people find out about you? Yeah, it's, it's it's really really tricky um, because 
some people are sort of quite discreet about you know, how they want their security to run. But a lot of it is exactly as you said, it's word of mouth. Um, we have people, particularly on our estate business, where we look after um, large estates, move and they like what we do and, and, and they take them with us. It's, it really is. We don't advertise much. We've tried. Mm. It's always been a challenge um, how to you know, get to a high net worth, but it really is by word of mouth. You look after um, different types of property, obviously properties in London and then country estates, um, two very, very different mm -hmm. beasts, aren't they? Can you sort of chat me through, um, you know, the key considerations and the differences between providing security for a London townhouse versus a big country estate? Of course. Um, I think the first thing we start with is looking at uh, what makes the, the, the client sleep better at night. So that's really sort of um, a difficult one to sort of try and understand. But really for us, it's, it's not about putting hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of equipment in. It's about just finding their sweet spot that, that makes them sleep at night. So actually on a country estate, it could be really simple uh, uh, or it could be really, really complex. But essentially what we're trying to do is based on their, um, their concern and their risk appetite, then between a country estate and a London home is understanding really what the response time is and what that response is. Mm. So for example, we did one recently near where we were, we were talking uh, about earlier where they had a risk against them um, and the, the police, average police response was about 25 to 30 minutes. So we needed to put everything in place to give us at least 30 minutes plus buffer to allow us to identify the individuals potentially coming on site. And then if you know, as they move through the property or, or the, the grounds, we could see them. Mm. Uh, and, and then um, we could then really, really quite simply build secure solutions inside physical uh, aspects of the property to delay them getting through the property into where they might be in, in the home, secure rooms and secure doors. Mm. But what we look to do is, is the same. We don't really reinvent much. It's to deter, detect, deny, delay and deploy response. Mm. So when we look at a property, we look at those uh, and we decide um, how we should then fit the equipment or the physical security to, to suit the client's needs. And, and the threat against them. And, and, and for a property like that, um, what are the sort of costs involved for clients in securing their home? Piece of string. So yeah. honestly, it doesn't really help the, yeah. in your answer. Um, it all depends on what's in place at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if it requires a, a full technical solution mm. um, or if it just requires a, a bit of enhancement to get it up and running and working properly. Mm. But then we have to look at the risk of the client. Yeah. You know, the, the, the client might have a threat against them um, and therefore we need to put physical measures in place within the home as well as cameras, access control and, and alarm systems or even physical people who stood outside in vehicles or living in the home to protect them as well. Yeah. So it's a really difficult one to quantify. It's all dependent on the client's risk. Yeah. And we, we read about safe rooms. How, how popular are they? How often are you installing a safe room in, in people's homes? So we don't install them every day of the week, as yeah. I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. Um, to, to me, uh, uh, it's about the, the client living in the home. Um, and if you have designated areas, you can bet your bottom dollar that when it does go wrong, they're the furthest point from there. Um, mm. Or it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The safe room is not where it's designed to be. Uh, and they've got youngest children and you're not having to haul the children out of bed and things. So, Again, we have to look at the family. And we have to understand exactly how the family live in the home. What we look to do is, is what we call sectional security. 
So where a reception room meets a hallway, mm. um, and we will either, if the, the risk or the threat is low, we will put uh, locks on those doors just so it delays someone coming in through your home. If the response of the police or, or the security is longer uh, and the threat is higher, then we might put physical doors on there that are level two uh, security doors mm. that essentially will give you sort of 30 minutes of attack time from non-kinetic um, devices like hammers and crowbars and things. So again, it's really assessing the individual home as to exactly what they need. Yeah, interesting. Um, as well as helping to protect people's homes, um, you also help protect businesses. How does how does that line of work differ to to to, to sort of the everyday protecting someone's home? What, what are sort of the key differences between that and looking after someone's business premises? Um, with the business premises, it's it's about reputational risk um, and intellectual property. Mm. So. Uh, what we tend to find is that we, we get involved with them at the early stages where they might have um, a, a big deal they're trying to do where they're buying a company and we have to go in and do sweeps of the premises to ensure there's no bugs or anything like that. Very and James the, Bond. Very, well, it is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't, we, you know, we, we've got colleagues that do that for us and we don't do that yeah. ourselves. Um, so I wouldn't put myself in that bracket. Um, but that's how we often start with it. And once you secure the property, then you need the physical security and the technical security. One of the big things that's clearly different on a home is the access control um, and, and making sure that those people are authorised to go to certain areas are allowed into those certain areas mm. and that it's not just a, a free-for-all walk off the street and straight to the building picking up any bits of information and intellectual property that you, you, free, you wish to sort of see and find. Yeah. Um, and how do you see sort of security trends evolving? Um, what are some, some of the latest, not gadgets, but technology and the latest trends that you've seen coming through your industry? Has, have things like um, AI, are, are they starting to, to come into the way you protect people's property? Absolutely. So um, AI has been in for a while before things like ChatGPT. Yeah. Um, it's been on a lot of the technology for, for quite some time. And essentially what that does is, I call it between a passive and an active CCTV system. So passive system is, is there's been a burglary. The police turn up and say, can I have the footage? And you give them uh, images of guys with hoodies or masks and not much use. The active system is where a lot of people are going now. And there's essentially virtual lines on the, on the floor uh, of the outside of the home on the ground, if that's where the system is. Mm. And every time a vehicle or a person then crosses that virtual line, that sends an image and an alert to a monitoring station. Um, and they can then act, act, act upon that. The software that we use in our monitoring station then gets sort of about 90% of, of false alarms. For example, hedging and, and birds yeah. can sometimes cause activations. So we filter a lot of that out, and what we see is either the humans or, or vehicles coming through. Wow, amazing! Um, looking after seven billion pounds worth of, of, of real estate in the UK, um, and and the wonderful clients behind those homes, I'm wondering if you can give us any anecdotes into some of the more challenging homes and clients that you've had to look after. Yeah, I think. Um, Genuinely work with really good clients. Um, it, we always have your challenge sort of here and there. Um, but we have looked after some you know, media types or people who have got themselves into the uh, the world's media, which has caused a challenge for them with the media trying to 
come onto their homes and, and, and take pictures mm. um, and be quite intrusive. But I think that the, the home uh, that probably was, was, the, was the most fun mm. um, was uh, one in West Berkshire. It was a 140-acre estate. Um, the driveway was about a mile and a half long up to it. And there was a risk to the clients in, in the home. So we had to really risk assess what the, the issue was with the clients. Um, and then we had to then build a, a complete technical solution over quite a large expanse of area. Uh, and then integrate that with a physical solution as well and have that monitored by our monitoring station all the way along. Um, and with the police response times, as I touched on earlier, being quite slow and them having a young baby mm. uh, and how they lived in the home, it was a real challenge to, to try and not make the home Fort Knox, make it child friendly, but also to give it the level of security that it needed and for the, the, the occupants to still feel at ease when they're at home late at night. Yeah. Do you think the best kind of security is is really visible? So, you know, somebody walks outside the home and you see lots of cameras, bars on the window. Is that, you know, is that is that what you would sort of fall into the deterrent category? Is that still used and popular or is it more discreet these days, do you think? I, I think uh, criminals now are, you know, quite happy that they, they see cameras on there and they're not that worried about them. Mm. Um, and they will, they will still go ahead. You know, we get imagery all the time of, of burglaries that have happened. Light, security lights come on. A lot of people say, I must have security lights. We've got loads of footage of burglars happily walking around the garden, oblivious to the lighting coming on. Mm. Um, so security for us is about you know, onion skins and creating those different layers w within, a, within a home. Um, it, it may be that the, the risk is so great that there are bars needed um, and, and secure glass and so on and so forth. But if we create various onion skins and layers all the way through from technical security, target hardening, physical security, then we can ensure then that the client sleeps better at night, which is ultimately what we're trying to do at the end of the day. But mm. it allows us to deploy whatever that requisite response is, whether it be the police, us, or another security firm coming in and supporting that client. Um, and creating those layers does, does give us that ability to do that. Interesting. Um... Can you talk about the most valuable home or estate that you've had to secure? Was it the one in West, West Berkshire or have there been any other sort of highlights of really complex or uh, really expensive um, homes that you've had to look at the security for? Um, we have had some, some very complex ones. We've, yeah. we've uh, provided solutions to castles in the past um, and it's difficult for me to sort of give you know, mm. too many sort yes. of shall clear remain, examples. Shall remain nameless. Um, but, you know, I think suffice to say, we look after some of the most expensive real estate in London, mm. um, where, where we work in Belgravia and Mayfair. Um, and also if you come out into Surrey and those areas, um, Wentworth Estate um, and places like St George's Hill and Burwood, yeah. some very, very expensive retail. Yeah. Um, in London, there are um, neighbourhoods where residents have got together and they pay for their own private patrol car to go up and down the road sort of from late afternoons, early evenings through the night often. Mm -hmm. um, there's roads like that in St John's Wood. Yep. Um, I think there's a few roads like that in Belgravia. How effective do you think that kind of security is? It really depends on, on what it's trying to achieve and what the end state is. If that car is just driving up and down the road, creating a deterrent, and then goes off to the next road and comes back 20 minutes later, the criminals will soon get a pattern. 
And the military taught me if you set a pattern, that's when this bad things happen essentially, um, because the, the criminals can see that. So what we do is slightly different. Um, we, yes, we patrol those roads, but we also have all the alarm, all the homes on there that are members, their alarm systems coming into us. So the moment, or their CCTV as well, so the moment we see something, we're deploying straight back there and responding. Now where we do that, we um, have a dedicated service. So if you look at some of the estates we look after in Surrey, it is an absolutely dedicated service and that vehicle doesn't leave that estate so we can respond within a couple of minutes, which is when criminals only spend you know, sort of eight to 10 minutes in a home, being able from the alarm sounding, being able to get there in, in, in a couple of minutes is absolutely key for the residents that, that might be in the property at the time. Okay. Um, and sort of on that theme of, you know, people getting together and private security in London, I, I want to talk a little bit about London. I think London, um, certainly recently, uh, you know, people have been quite vocal about how they feel that London is not as safe a city as it used to be. Um, I wondered what your thoughts were on that and how you think London compares in terms of a, a risk um, city compared to sort of other global leading cities like <coughs> New York, uh, Paris, um, you know, other cities where we know our high net worth clients like to spend time in with their families. Is, is London really more unsafe these days than it used to be? I think last year we went through a spate um, of watch crime particularly um, where people became uneasy because it was quite prevalent and it was on the streets and the Metropolitan Police set their own watch crime unit up to try and defend against it. Mm. So I think that's created a bit of a, you know, a bit of unsettling um, for, for people. But if I, if I look at some of the cities across, across the board, we are moderate in terms of our, our risk and, and, and crime. If you look at places like Amsterdam and Madrid, they are, they are low in terms of their crime, but we sit with London, Paris, um, and New York as well. And New York is 50 in terms of crime on the index, and then uh, Paris is 57 and we're 54. So we, we, we are right sort of in the, in, in the, the heart of, of where it should be. Burglary since lockdown has decreased. I think it's decreased by about 20,000 crimes in, uh, a year. That's interesting. We do anticipate, though, with the cost of living and everything coming back to normal, that we might see this winter burglary going back up to sort of pre-COVID levels again, possibly. Mm. But if you compare, for example, New York, which is what you mentioned, mm. um, against us, and the way we do it is we compare it by, by a thousand people per head. So you look at um, New York, which has a crime index per thousand people um, of 1.77. Um, sorry, I beg your pardon, 1.39, I beg your pardon. Um, and London has a crime index of 1.77. So we do have, per thousand people, more crime, albeit small, um, but we, we do have more. The huge and the major difference between us and America is the nature of the crime. Yeah. Uh, the, the crime that is experienced in, in New York is uh, much more violent yeah. um, because you know, there, there are weapons often involved. So that's where we can see the complete difference between the comparisons. Mm -hmm. as, as a crime index, we're there or thereabouts um, with New York, but we have less, less violent crime over this side, of, this side of the pond. Yeah. So if I'm a high net worth, sort of considering where I want to live with my family, but I want to live in a vibrant, bustling city, where would you advise? I mean, uh, London is as good as any. Yeah. London is as good a city as any. Why not? You know. Um, <laughs> 
if you do do that, you know, you've got to put things in place to stop yourself being a target. Yeah. You know, it's when watch crime was up, people would still go out wearing their 60,000 plus watches. Yeah. Um, and they would make themselves a target. So if you are going to live in these places, you do have to put some basic measures in place where your risk is and what you need to mitigate against that risk yeah. so that you can, you can live comfortably in the, in the city. But there's, you know, I wouldn't put anybody off living in London at this time. Excellent. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, on that note of sort of um, safety and security in London in particular, are you seeing, do you think you're now seeing like an increase in demand for your services because people are, are worried? Yes, I think there's, 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 there's two, two ways you look at it. One is a compelling event. So something has happened. They've been burgled normally. Yeah. Uh, and then they pick up the phone to us and say, you know, this has happened. I need to increase and buff up what I'm doing so it doesn't, doesn't happen again. Yeah. But you tend to find that, the, that I suppose our generation, the younger generation, are a bit more security savvy. You know, we, we find on, on a, as a general rule, some of the older generations, they've lived in these houses for a long time. They've never been burgled and everything like that. Yeah. When you take a step back and you see they may not have, you know, some of the flash cars on the driveway that, that get stolen quite readily, um, which is why they're not presenting themselves as such a big target. Whereas you look at the younger generations, they want more of the, you know, the watches, dress the right way, carry the right handbags, uh, and also drive the, the nicer, smarter, more expensive cars. Yeah. Which does present themselves as, as slightly more as a target. Yeah. So a good tip then probably is, uh, you know, don't don't wear flashy brands out and about. Just try and uh, blend in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to sometimes, you know, yeah. dress up to the nines and wear all your finery, but then just put measures in place. You know, yeah. Don't walk the streets, yeah. you know, don't walk to where you're going, jump in a cab, drive there. Don't hang around, you know, on, on the, you know, from the venue to, to the cab too long. Just go straight in and... Yeah. A lot of these venues now have security in place. Yeah. So once you're in, it's, it's fairly secure. Yeah. It's just about ways to reduce that, that risk to you slightly. Do you think there, there are certain hot spots for burglaries in London? Um, I asked this question because I, <clears throat> I grew up in Winnington Road and I remember growing up on that street as a child. And I think in, in the 17 years that we lived in that house, I think we were burgled three times which i i think is a lot and yep. <clears throat> that and 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 those burglaries often happened when we were in the home yep. um you know we would be often sort of downstairs having dinner and burglars would come in through the top climb up the drain pipes in through the top of the house into my parents room steal the jewelry and leave and you know we would be none the wiser um and and so i often felt living there um not safe um mm -hmm. do, do you think that um there are certain roads, you know, like the roads in Hampton Garden Suburb where you have these big mansions. Are they, are they real targets or is it more uh, generic than that? So j just go back to your, your childhood. One of the reasons they came into the first floor is a lot of um, people don't put technology on the first floor. Mm. So the MO of the criminal is to come in through first floor windows, up through single storey extensions, up through first floor windows where there's no technology and things <clears throat> in place there for them to... Be, be identified as, as coming into the home. But unfortunately, Mayfair and Belgravia is probably one of the most dangerous wards in, in London. Um, now, let me quantify that a little bit more. If you look at the types of homes that you have in this area, yeah. they present a bigger prize. Mm. You know, if, if you go out to 
I don't know, the, the Docklands area, it's harder to commit crime and burglary there because a lot of it is flats. Yeah. So to get in through and up and out quickly is a real challenge. Yeah. And and the prize for doing that might not be, you know, might not be particularly great. So there is a there is a risk to, to living in some of these areas purely because people are buying beautiful homes um, and the criminals see that if you've got a beautiful home, they're after cash, watches, handbag and, and handbags and jewellery. You know, some of the homes we go into, you know, there can be millions of pounds worth of handbags alone that, that they've got in the home. If the criminals get that, they know they can move that on very, very quickly. Mm. And car crime as well, you know, you have a, a range of assets on your drive. They are big, they're big for, for crime at the moment. Mm. So not trying to put people off living in, in Belgrave and Mayfair, of course, but it's just about considering your security before you do yeah. and just understanding where, where that puts you in ways that if you've got a garage, use it. You know, for ease, people just put the cars on the driveway and take the kids in and, and it's easy. If you've got a garage, put the car away. If you have an alarm system, use it at night and switch it on. Um, if you have cameras, get them monitored. Don't rely on it being on your phone, which a lot of people do, which at two o'clock in the morning when you're fast asleep, you're not going to pick the notifications up. So it's just be a little bit more savvy um, so you don't present yourself with such a large target. Good, good tips. Um, and what about um, for, for anyone listening to the podcast today that's inspired to start a career okay. um, in, in security? What advice would you have for individuals interested? Do it. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a great industry. Um, it's a growing industry. We're, we're not, you know, the country and the world isn't getting a safer place. And there are many different avenues you can go down. You know, cybercrime is a big thing at the moment. Um, you can go and do the conventional sort of man guarding mm -hmm. and door supervising, which is licensed premises or, or just guarding. Yeah. Or you can do much, much more highbrow courses and qualifications, which might take you overseas in a more of a risk management role mm -hmm. than, than being in London all the time and still on a door somewhere or on the gate. It's a great industry. It's good fun. There's some really good people in the industry. Um, always up for you know a good bit of banter, yeah. a couple of drinks, uh, and it's 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 great fun. I I, I love the industry. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have wished to go into anything else. Many women in the industry. A lot more. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think women are absolutely key to the industry. You see, sometimes you see you know you see a fight going on or a, someone a little bit hostile, and actually having a woman there diffuses it far quicker than a, than a, than a, a guy mm -hmm. who can get the, a bit of the red mist and things. Women have a great way of diffusing that and seeing things in a different light. In terms of close protection, a lot of females, either from the Middle East or in this country, don't want guys with them. Yeah. Um, they want females. So there's a huge interest for females to come into industries in a close protection role. Mm -hmm. uh, good, you know, fit females to come in uh, and work in those close protection roles is absolutely key. Yeah, someone once told me that, um, you know, being a, a female close protection officer is 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 good because they're less obvious. Um, absolutely right. And people don't necessarily can take them by surprise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. You know, yeah. th there's a there's an image with close protection officers that you know the dark glasses, mm -hmm. big burly blokes, earpiece, earpiece, <laughs> and uh, you know standing very undiscreetly. You know, if you're a woman shopping, yeah, then that can be quite um, awkward for you. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a much more discreet female who's actually just with you meandering around yeah. and getting involved it's much much better for you definitely excellent um i want to move on to top tips mm, okay. um 
not everybody listening to our podcast has um, unlimited budget mm-hmm. to spend on um, lots and lots of layers of security, like you were like you were saying. So, for our budget conscious listeners, ordinary people, what are your top tips for homeowners looking to enhance their security in a cost-effective way? Sure. Okay. Um, so, on portals like Amazon and things, there are some great um, budget cameras that, that you can buy. You can install yourself. They operate on batteries. Uh, things like you know your Arlo's and your Ring cameras. And, and they can then send a, um, a message to your phone and alert you. Mm-hmm. So if someone does step onto your premises when they shouldn't be, then wherever you are, you're going to get that alert and that information. You also have, there's been a big insurgence of, you know, of, of ring doorbells. Um, everybody has a you know, ring doorbell. Again, another great way, if you aren't there, you can answer it from your phone and say, yeah, you know, I'm just, just upstairs, I'm coming down, or I'm in the garden, I'm, you know, just, I'll be there in a few minutes and put people off. That way, um, if you if if you can, and if, if it works that way, um, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Exactly okay. right. <laughs> right. The other thing as well that, that that's you know worth considering is making sure that you have window locks on all your windows. Yeah. Um, if you do have an alarm system, make sure it's serviced. A lot of people don't have it serviced, and when they really need it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, a lot of people also in in their home. I mentioned sectional security earlier, where the reception room leads into the hallway. Lock those doors before you go out and before you go to bed. So if someone does break in, as I said, they have a limited time in the home. They've got to create more noise and they've got to then try and break into um, into another door mm. to get into the main sort of heart of the home because they're after getting to the bedroom and the safe. Yeah. And then the final thing is put things in a safe. You know, yeah. get a professionally installed safe, particularly if you've got watches or any valuable items or, or paperwork, passports, yeah. and share certificates, that sort of thing. Get a professionally installed safe, get it out of the way somewhere discreet, uh, and make sure you put your valuable items in there, particularly when you're going away on holiday. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key. I think, do, in your experience, do most break-ins happen when people are away on holiday? Is that is that the moment of maximum vulnerability? Do you think? Sadly, not. No. You. I mean, most people go on holiday in the summer, you know, mid July through to sort of uh, early September, the first week in September, mm. you do see a spike in, in burglaries through that summer period because yes, homes are empty. But it's the darker nights mm. where people um, or criminals do come out a lot more and do the crime because they can get you home unattended without being seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people are working late. Thursday night is always a classic one because Thursday night's the new Friday, a lot of people out in London yeah. and, and things like that and the homes are unoccupied. So again, going back to the tips, look at something like a Philips Hue system, which you can buy on Amazon. They're bulbs you put in, you can control it on your phone. It has a security setting that allows you to say, switch the lights on at eight o'clock every night, Mm -hmm. but it then changes that by 30 minutes either side of eight. So on day one, it might be eight o'clock, day two, it might be 8.09, and then 7.52 before. So you might not be home, but it looks like there's, there's people at home. And if you have the lights coming on at different times, again, Criminal is going to try and observe for sign of life in the home. Yeah. Something simple like that can make them think, next door is pitch black. I'm not too sure about this one, which is ultimately what you want to try and do is push them onto your, onto your neighbours. Very clever. You can also geolocate your phone coming home. Yeah. So um, you know, should, should someone come home late at night, when it sees you coming home, it switches on the relevant light. So you're coming into a, a nice, well-lit home, which is safer. Yeah. But if there is anybody in the house, they're going to realise you're coming home and they hopefully will leave at that point. Amazing tips, amazing tips. Thank you so, so much. Um, 
I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. So um, thank you so much to Charlie for giving us the complete inside track um, into how to secure your home, whether you've got a big luxury residence in London or a country estate or just a normal property. I think we've had some amazing um, tips and insights from you today, Charlie. So thank you so much um, for giving our listeners a fascinating glimpse into your world. For more information about how to purchase property in Prime Central London, please get in touch via our website. For an introduction to Charlie and night protection, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, And don't forget to like and subscribe on whichever podcast channel you use to listen. See you next time.